0: Acts chapter 1, we're going to speak today on the last command of Christ, the last command of Christ. Acts 1 and verse number 8, as I mentioned last week, we're beginning a study through the book of Acts. We'll probably go to Acts chapter 10, we'll not go through the entire thing, but we'll go through and we will look at what the Lord has for us in the book of Acts. Acts can be a confusing book. Amen. Right. Um, so we need to know how to interpret it. We need to know how to read it. Okay. There are some people that uh, disregard a lot of it. There are other people that try to take every single word as if it was meant for us to relive exactly what happened in the book of Acts to relive it today. Right, They're looking for the Holy Ghost to come down in the form of a dove. They're looking for God to shake buildings when we pray, and and they're very much looking for uh, these types of things. And so we need to understand that, the book of Acts and chapter 1. And we will look at verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times Or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath days journey. Let's pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless this message now. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word. I pray that you would focus our hearts and attention on learning what you have for us to learn, but help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. First, Father, if someone is here today not sure that they're saved, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Second, Father, if somebody here is disregarding The fact that you're coming back, they're living just from day to day with no regard for eternity. I pray that you'd help us to live in the light of eternity. And Father, if we have been neglecting the Great Commission, I pray that you would help us to become a witness for you. We love you and thank you for your kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was on his way back to heaven. He was giving them one last meeting. This is not a meeting that you would want to miss. These 11 were there. Some, because it doesn't give the exact number, some think this was the time that Jesus showed himself alive to the 500 all at once. That is possible that this is the time that Jesus showed himself alive to the 500. But Jesus left three things when he left. He left the church. He left the visible church. He left the Holy Spirit. And he left the scriptures. These are something that we still have with us today. We have the church. We have the Holy Spirit if we're saved. Amen. And we have the scriptures. So when we're looking from the moment that Jesus was taken up into heaven, from that moment in history, we have those same things that the early church had. When we're studying the book of Acts, we are really studying early Christianity. Now, when Jesus was alive, it would be easy to think, well, it was a little bit different Then, in the sense of where when they're following Jesus, they're following a literal physical person that's there. Whereas when we are following Jesus now, physically, Jesus is in heaven. From when he ascended into heaven, he physically went up. He himself took his body up to heaven and then he sent the Holy Spirit. So when we're following Jesus, we're not physically following a person in living flesh now. We're simply following his words with the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts And the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, working in the local, visible body of Christ, which is the local church, following the scriptures. This is a big transition. What are these guys going to do? Jesus is leading them. Right away, he comforts them. And says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the comforter. The comforter is another name for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, just like Jesus is a person, just like God the Father is a person. Not a human person, a spiritual person. But it's not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not an emotion The Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is a person. Notice Jesus, when he says that he is going to go back to heaven. First of all, we've already covered this last week. We won't go into a lot of detail. Before he gives them this great commission, before he gives them the plans of what they are to do as a group and as a church, Before he does all of this, he gives them proof. What was the proof that he gave them? In his life, he gave them the proof of of the fact that he was doing miracles. They saw him do many, many miracles. Now, this was proof that he was the Son of God. It was also proof that he was fulfilling, actively fulfilling so many Old Testament prophecies. But then the ultimate proof of Christianity, or of following Christ, was the fact that he rose from the dead. Scripture records 13 different times that Jesus showed himself alive for 40 days. So for over a month after he died on the cross, rose from the dead, for over a month, he would go around with his disciples and he would teach and he would show, I'm alive. Why would they need to know that? They needed proof. If they were going to continue to follow Jesus, and continue to follow his teaching, they're going to need proof. Let me just say that there are some people who stop following Jesus because they haven't gotten sufficient proof. Proof is out there. We need to make sure that if we are living in doubt, that we take the time to study the proof. The proof is there. Jesus does not expect for us to follow him without sufficient proof. Amen. Okay, we're about to get into the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That that's going to require a lot of faith, especially in the face of opposition, especially in the face of people that hate the message to the point where they're willing to kill you to get you to stop preaching that message. You're going to need some proof. Proof. The scriptures are proof, the Holy Spirit is proof, the church is proof. Proofs were given of his deity. The next thing that we see here if we're following through this they assemble together. He instructs them to wait for the promise of the Father. We'll get to that in just a moment. Look at verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, "Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, what was their question? Okay, Their question was concerning a promise found in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to come and they were going to restore the throne of King David and the Messiah was going to sit on the throne. It's talking about the thousand year reign of Christ, the messianic rule. And the fact is, is that after Jesus died on the cross, And after he rose from the dead, this group still expected Jesus, or maybe hoping, might would be a better word, but they were some expecting or hoping that Jesus would stay. I mean, he just rose from the dead. Guys, what an amazing king that would be. Well, it's like, hey, we've got this Roman occupation. Caesar can't beat you. They tried to crucify you, and they did, but you rose from the dead, showed yourself alive after, after 40 days of many infallible proofs. Now's the time, Jesus. Let's go, they would say, as my son loves to say in sports. Let's go. Are you going to restore the kingdom now, Jesus? Isn't that interesting how we still talk about God in that particular sense? We still follow Jesus, still expecting him to do some things that we think in our minds, hey, now would be a great time for God to do this or for God to do that. Now would be a great time for Jesus to come back so I wouldn't have to deal with that meeting that's coming up on Monday at work, <laughs> right? Sure. And then we look in the world at what's going on around us. Man, you read headline after headline after headline. Is there any peaceful place on this earth where the politicians have a, a decent brain that are going to do right for the people? It doesn't seem like it. It just seems to be waxing, as the Bible teaches us in Second Timothy. It's waxing worse and worse. Right? When? Now? Notice in verse 6, the question was, Jesus, Now? Are you going to restore this now? But Jesus wants to get to verse number eight. Why has verse number six not happened yet? Because Jesus says right now is time for verse number eight. Let me me spell that out more clearly. Why hasn't Jesus come back? Why hasn't he put an end to all of what's going on in this world? Why hasn't there been the final days? Why hasn't the church been raptured? Why hasn't Jesus set up his earthly kingdom? Why hasn't Jesus given judgment over all of the wicked people of this world and finally said, enough is enough? Why hasn't that happened? Because Jesus still intends for us to obey and carry out by faith what's contained in verse number 8. Here's the problem sometimes with prophecy is that we can become preoccupied with prophecy. We can become so preoccupied with what will happen Instead of what does Jesus want me to do right now? Disciples, now's not the time. Now's not the time. He goes on to describe they were preoccupied with the messianic kingdom and he corrects them. The issue is not if it would happen, but when. Timing is often an issue in following Jesus by faith and Jesus corrects them by saying, Verse 7, he saith unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons. Let me reemphasize that once again. Disciples, followers of Jesus, it's not for us to know the times of the seasons. Now, there's plenty in Scripture, and we'll do this study later. There's plenty in Scripture that teaches us as the church the signs of his coming. It talks about what the last days will be like. It will talk about the fact that Jesus is coming back for his own, that the tribulation or the judgment of sin and wickedness will take place on this earth, and there will be the reign of Jesus Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ, and we will live in heaven with Jesus forever. This will happen, but we are not to be so preoccupied with it that we forget what Jesus intends for us to do today. We should be busy about honoring the last words of Jesus Christ, which is to be a witness around the world. We can see here that though he corrects them and says, it's not for you to know the times. That, belo- that timing and that specific date belongs to the Father. When the time comes, it will happen. But we are not supposed to be preoccupied to the point where we're no longer busy about serving Jesus now. He gives them the Great Commission. We'll come back to that in a moment in verse number 8. But he also gives the promise of his second coming. Notice it says in verse nine, when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now look, I mean, I don't know if we'd be any different. Here's Jesus, the resurrected Christ showed himself alive for 40 days. He's giving us these last little teachings. And then all of a sudden, and he just goes up, not in a flash, The Bible says while there be help, like they they could watch him go up. It wasn't just disappearing into heaven. From what it says here, it appears as if they're watching him go up and they're just staring at the clouds. A cloud received him out of their sight. And they're just staring at the cloud. What are we supposed to be doing with our with our time now as Christians? We're not just supposed to be staring at the clouds. Jesus is coming back and we walk around like this around Toronto. I want to watch him. I want to see him when he comes. Verse 11, the two angels, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Here's the promise. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He is coming back. He is coming back. We can take the time and look at a few passages. We'll just take the time to look at a couple. If we look at 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. And it says in verse number 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or those that are dead that ye sorrow not, even even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So it's talking about Jesus returning to rapture the church or to catch us away or to take us up into heaven. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or go before them, which are asleep, or though that those that are dead. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. My friends, he's coming back. He is coming back. He has not left us alone. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the local church. We have the scriptures. But let me show you another verse. Let's go to 2 Peter. And I want to reemphasize, while this would be an amazing time for me to divert and go down all of the verses that I actually have on my notes right now. And talking about the second coming of Christ and he's coming back and he's going to judge the whole world and we're going to be victors at, at, at last. That is all true. But let's let's take a moment and go to second Peter three. And verse number three, talking about the last days, by the way, this is a period of time from the in the church age. This is the last days. It was the last days then. and It's the last days now. The church age is the last days, meaning God doesn't have anything else planned. There aren't any other plans coming up other than the fact that Jesus is returning. The tribulation is going to take place. And then um, everything that is prophesied from there on. Okay, but let's look at the last days. It says here in verse number three, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers. walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's 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 referring back to Noah and the flood. Let's jump down to verse eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack. What are we talking about? We're talking about the timing. It is the last days. Where is the promise of his coming? Why hasn't he come back yet? And he gives the illustration of, like in the days of Noah, everybody's going to be preoccupied with having a good time. When Moses, pardon Moses, when Noah is building a gigantic ship in their backyard, They're preoccupied with eating and drinking and having a good time. Is that not the days in which we live right now, my friends? I am a called missionary. I am here to help reach the lost for Christ. I've been in Nepal for seven and a half years. And I will say this as a called missionary who's been on many foreign fields. The gospel needs to be preached, but the gospel is ignored largely by those who need it the most. The little smiles and the smirks around Toronto when you try to hand somebody a gospel track. Oftentimes they're polite. Every once in a while they'll be rude. Typically it's a no thank you. Don't you know that death does not mean death? Don't you know that there is life after this life? There is something that cries out in the heart of human beings that there is a greater God out there. And we long to pray. There is a conscience that tells us that is wrong. There is it, there is some kind of, I'm going to get this completely wrong, looking at, Looking at headlines, I should have tagged it, but they're talking about some kind of stem cell research nowadays and they're growing something and they're doing something. And then then it puts in a little piece in there. But we're only doing it for two weeks because ethics come into question. So you want to play God, but at the same time there's something deep in your heart that says, this may not actually be right. By a bunch of scientists that I'm presuming Say, again, presumption on my part, there is no God. Then what are the ethics about? What does the conscience scream out to you? Let me tell you something, friend. There is a God in heaven. Jesus Christ is his son. He showed himself alive for 40 days. For three and a half years, he walked around doing good, doing miracles, healing and helping and even raising the dead. He's fulfilled Hundreds and dozens of prophecies from the Old Testament, from this book that took over 1,600 years to write with over 40 authors. There is no piece of evidence that is lacking for someone to come to full faith in Jesus Christ. What is the missing piece? For some people, they've not heard the message and they need to hear it. But I'm speaking now. Maybe someone will listen on the recording. I'm speaking to the one that has the label on their mailbox, knowingly or unknowingly, no flyers. I'm looking to the one who gets angry when we try to hand him a track. I'm talking to the one that sees a Bible verse that's 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 been printed out on the wall of some subway line and is kind of weathered with age. But there it is. Big as day, John 3, 16. And they look and they glance and something twinges in their heart that there's a God in heaven and that that is the truth. And they walk and they turn. My friend, the message is repent. The message is allow the persistence of a loving God to change your mind. Can you not see his loving persistence? Even his very last words on this earth. Fellas, don't get preoccupied in prophecy. We would a hundred times rather have a prophecy conference than a Great Commission conference. As Christians, that's a general statement. Show me the hidden things. I'm going to make a list. I would like to make a list. That's not a promise. I would like, I have the desire to make a list of all of these prophecy teachers, some of which have made YouTube channels, which there's way too many now to even look at them all. But back in the day of those who would write books. There was a guy back in the day, I can't remember if it was the 60s or the 70s, specifically said, based on all these numbers in the Bible, Jesus is coming back on this day. By the way, it's hard to find the book now. You know why? Because Jesus didn't come back on that day. Sold a lot of books. Preoccupied with the mystery. The purpose of prophecy is for us not to be taken advantage of. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. That's the purpose. But the plan of action is not to endlessly study prophecy, because the more we look into the mystery, the more mysterious it becomes. We start seeing things that aren't there. I'll never forget looking on YouTube one time, and it just popped up in your feed. You know how it happens sometimes. You end up searching an idiot one time, and then all of this junk comes up. And this guy, is this the Antichrist? Had a picture of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Is that the guy she's married to? got okay, I get those two guys mixed up. Clickbait. Uh, probably hundreds of thousands of views. I don't know. But going to tell your neighbor about Jesus? Praying for the lost person you work with? Nah, that's a little too hard. So much more fun to try to guess who the next Antichrist will be. They, by the way, they were dead sure that Hitler was the Antichrist. If you read history, they were dead sure he was the guy. Guess what? He wasn't the guy. The international compassion of Christ was the very last thing that he wanted to reemphasize right moments before his feet left this globe. He's like, guys, don't get preoccupied with prophecy. That's up. That's in the father's timing. Let me tell you what you need to be about. You need to be about being witnesses unto me. And this is exactly what we find in verse nine. The Lord is not slack. This is second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, his promise of coming back as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Why hasn't he come back yet? Because of his compassion, because of his patience. Because of his love for this world, that's why he hasn't come back yet. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His plan is that everyone come to repentance. We can see the promise of his power. We won't go into the details of that for the sake of time. We go back to Acts chapter number one. He promises them power. We'll get into the power of the Holy Spirit in another lesson. It requires supernatural power if we're going to give the gospel to someone. We cannot give the gospel in the flesh in an effective way. There are some people that give it out in a hateful way. There are some people that try to do it in the flesh and maybe they kind of like cut back some of the stuff so that they don't really hear all of the gospel. We need God. We need to pray that God helps us to give the whole gospel to people. There are many antichrists out there. There is a Jesus, a version of Jesus out there that only comes to make people feel better about themselves. He's almost kind of like a supernatural psychologist or something. Come on now. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. He did not come primarily to give us some kind of physical healing for health problems. That's not why he came. Amen. He did not come for us to feel better about ourselves or to give us a peaceful community. Can he do these things? Yes. Is this the primary reason he came? No. No. He came to save us from our sins. He promised his power. You shall receive power. Next, we see the purpose of his power. The purpose of his power, again, is not for us to show off that we have the power of God. By the way, the power of God is not some kind of Marvel comic thing. You say, well, I'm a DC comic guy. I don't even know the difference and I honestly don't care. Yeah, I know. How does God demonstrate his power nowadays? Primarily when someone trusts Christ as their Savior and, they, and their life is changed by his grace. That is how he primarily demonstrates his power. You know, you've got some people that think they're super smart. Like, oh, if there is a God, you know, then he could just like do some kind of like, you know, do a miracle or something. He, he, he would if, if you would let him. He, he would, if, if, if you would let him. Well, what's the miracle? Look, there is no greater miracle than to save a soul whose heart is hard towards God, unbelieving, and unchangeable. You know, the, the question always goes out. Can people change? Can I, can I really change? Can they change? Can we change? Can people change? Listen, friends, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that he can change me. He can change you. There is no sinner where his grace is not strong enough to change them and save them and give them eternal hope to care about Jesus and the things that he cares about. His grace is strong enough, but we have to let him. And that is a demonstration of his power. My friends, we are naturally the most selfish people in the world. Man, when I was a teenager, goodness, I was selfish. Saved, man, selfish. Selfish, selfish. I only cared about me looking good, other people looking at me, and me having fun and a good time. And working a job so I can get money so I can go have a good time. That was it. That's all I cared about. For me, it was snowboarding. Loved it. Loved it. I had to make money so I can go buy more cool snowboarding stuff. Why? So I could walk around wearing my snowboarding stuff. So everybody's like, oh, man, you snowboard? Yeah, dude. See, I can do the talk. We see something happen to me. I heard the gospel. 16 years old, almost 17. July 25th, 1999. And I realized that the doubts and the guilt and the fear in my heart It wasn't because I didn't know about Jesus. It's because I didn't know Jesus. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. I had to admit, fundamentally, I'm a good person, but I'm a sinner. Other people may look at me as a church kid, I was a church kid, and think, "Ah, he's a pretty good kid. A little weird about the snowboarding thing, but he's a pretty good kid. I mean, you know, polite, easy to be around, you know. That was a hard that was a hard thing. You know, I'm I'm almost getting to the place now when someone says, I'm a Christian. Because for a lot of people that means a lot of things. It can mean a million things. What does it mean to you to be a Christian? Do you know for sure if you died you'd go to heaven? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Notice the high pitch. Yeah, 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 yeah are you trying to convince, me or you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me ask you another way. Have you ever been thoroughly convinced that without Jesus Christ, you were on your way to hell? Ooh. That's what it means to be lost. And you can't get saved. Until you know for sure that without him, you are doomed. You're doomed. You've got nothing. You have got nothing. You've got nothing to hide behind. You've got no amount of religion, no amount of times getting baptized, no amount of background in culture, Jesus said to a man who was a religious purebred Ye must be born again. It's the first time anybody had ever loved Nicodemus enough to look out of him in the face and say, you're a good person, but you are lost, my friend. It shocked him. It sent shockwaves down to the very core of who he was. And later on in scripture, it says Nicodemus, who was a believer of Jesus Christ. It is not hate to tell somebody they're on their way to hell. It is the greatest act of love. Don't stop with that. But it begins with that. It begins with that. Have you ever, from the depths of your being, admitted, I am lost? The quietness is a little awkward. I am lost. I have no hope. There are too many good people who have this agreement. They kind of believe in Jesus and call themselves a Christian. My friend, that kind of shallow belief in Jesus will send you straight to hell. It will send you straight to hell. Well, if I was to pick a religion, I think I'd pick Christianity. That's not the right answer. I remember conviction. You guys know conviction? Conviction is a work of God Himself, the Holy Spirit. When you hear the message I'm preaching right now called the Gospel, the Gospel is good news. Good news. I remember hearing the gospel as a young person in church. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. But when people started talking about the evidences of actually being born again, this new life, this new heart, it wasn't there. Just wasn't there. Just wasn't there. You must be born again. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, my room was in the basement when I was that age, 15, 16. Quiet. Excuse me, dark. I remember waking up like at one or two in the morning. The house is so quiet. I wonder if Jesus came back. I was terrified. I was terrified. I ran up two flights of stairs to my parents' room because if there was anybody in my family that was absolutely born again, it was my mom. It was my mom. Not because she said so, but because I saw the fruit. She really did love Jesus. And she really did want to spend time with him. And I ran up there to see, nope, she's still breathing. I still got time to figure this out. Jesus hasn't come back yet. But would I still admit that I was lost? Because if you really admit that you're lost, you you then have to really make a decision. Well, if I'm completely and utterly lost, that means I'm on my way to hell. And if I'm on my way to hell, that means I've got to trust Jesus. I wasn't quite ready to do it just yet, but man inside, I was I was far beyond being uncomfortable. I was, listen, I was being tortured inside by a loving God who would not just let me go back to sleep and let me just live this life. He was coming after me. He was. Co- he would not let the words of his word just fall to the ground, but they gripped my heart and it it, it forced me into making a decision. That's the love of a good God. Now, it was my decision. I'm not trying to say in any sense that I was pre-chosen to go to heaven. That kind of Bible interpretation is way off. But he was after me. Jesus, in one tortured moment, I remember. Jesus, I don't know if I'm saved or if I'm lost. I don't even know anymore. Would you please show me, would you just show me if I'm definitely saved or definitely lost? If I'm definitely okay or definitely not okay, would you just show me that? Two weeks after that, visiting pastor came through and he said some words. He preached a whole sermon, don't remember anything about the sermon. But when he was finishing out the sermon, he said, you cannot be a good enough person to go to heaven. There is none righteous, no, not one. He said, you can't get baptized to go to heaven. Baptism is water. Water can't save you. Faith in water doesn't save you. It's water. And then he said this, you can't pray a prayer good enough to take you to heaven. Because a prayer didn't die for you. A person died for you. And right there in my heart, all of the confusion just kind of became calm. And I heard the voice, the sweet voice of Jesus Christ in my heart, the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what you've been trusting. You've been trusting in a prayer to take you to heaven. Will you trust me now? And that moment, July 25th, 1999, on a Sunday morning, roughly around 12 noon, in my heart, I just said, yes. From the deepest part of me, yes, I will trust you to take me to heaven when I die. And from that moment, my friend, my life has changed forever. I knew him, and he knew me. Church was completely different. Going to church was a joy. I couldn't wait to get there. Now you still try to be a little reserved and not cool for your friends. But listen, there was something, some some kind of stallion inside of me that wanted to know Jesus, and it wanted to run past that idea of being cool for my friends. I want to know him. I want to know the one who loved me enough to chase me down to make a decision. I want to know the one who died for me. I want to know the one who moments before he ascended back up into heaven said, now don't remember or don't forget. You be a witness of me. Don't get preoccupied with what's going on in your country. Don't get preoccupied with what's going on with prophecy. God's in charge of all that. Don't worry. I'll reveal more when scripture comes. You can study that. Don't get preoccupied with it. I want you to be witnesses of me. I want you to be witnesses of me. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.